So, good to be here. Open your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You probably think the introduction will be a little bit uh, unusual, but I, uh, hopefully it'll make the point. I, I've often said, you know, I wish everybody could uh, know what it was like to be a pastor for a week and, uh, you know, just have some idea of what all is involved and one of the things that makes it difficult, you know, for a preacher to uh, decide on a sermon. Now, now, naturally, we we let the Lord determine that, but I'm saying there's a lot of factors that come into play. And regardless of how spiritual-minded we think we are, you know, our mind gets filled with all of this stuff about, well, you, you know, maybe I ought to preach on that, or maybe I ought to preach on this. And one of the things has to do with circumstances. You know, what happens during the course of the week or what, you know, the current affairs or uh, some something that I've experienced during the week. And if I'm not careful, I can let that color the way that I think and uh, and affect what I preach. So I have to be careful that I don't do that. But then there's another matter, and that's the matter of uh, of people. Yeah, and not everybody's the same. You know, some people, they like... Uh, uh, they like one kind of sermon, and some people like another kind of sermon. And uh, you've got to be careful that you don't just uh, uh, try to please everybody because that doesn't work. And as any mother knows, everybody in the family has their favorite food. You know, there's always going to be people that they want a five-course meal. I mean, they they want to cover all of the bases, and so... Uh, they they want the whole kit and caboodle, as the old saying goes. And, you know, there's some others that, uh, you know, they, they want some particular ethnic food maybe, and uh, uh, that's that's their choice. And uh, uh, somebody else, they want country cooking, you know. They want the old-time uh, taters and gravy and, you know, and stuff like that, just country cooking. And uh, others, maybe they just... Give me a burger, you know, I, I'm satisfied with that. And, and then there are a few that they just want veggies, just, you know, give me the vegetables, that's that's all I want. And then there are some of us just says, uh, give me the meat, you know. Uh, Babel, Babel cooks something and uh, some particular meat, and it's, uh, what, what else do you want with it? I say, nothing. Uh, what? You don't want a vegetable? No, I don't need, I don't need a vegetable or you know, we've got, you know, peas in there and carrots in there and different things. I, I, no, just give me the meat. That's uh, all, all I need to survive on. And, and then, of course, there's the kiddos, and it's give me the sweets, right? I, I mean, oh, man, I just that, that's all they want to eat. Well, it's kind of the same way when it comes to people in sermons. And the pastors know they can't please Everybody. In fact, sometimes you can't please anybody with certain sermons. And, and, and I'm making mention of all of that for a reason. And that is here in this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. Paul is dealing with some very personal and touchy issues. If you're not familiar with this chapter, you ought to go home and you ought to sit down and read it and maybe study it because there's some very important things here. And so Paul knows that he's dealing with some issues that are not going to be popular. 
but I don't want to delve into all of the details of this chapter this morning. I want to just, like a laser focus, go down to verse number 29 and focus on one brief statement that he makes. Now, keep in mind, this statement relates to everything in our life, and it ought to color our thinking about everything in life and affect our behavior. But notice what he says in verse number 29, But this I say, brethren, the time is short. The time is is short. Everything in this world is changing. And it's temporary. Nothing is the same as it was yesterday. And things will change tomorrow. Wednesday morning, uh, early Wednesday morning, I was sitting at the, at the snack bar trying to get my computer to cooperate and get morning manna out. And about that time, there was a there was a clap of thunder and lightning, and um, there's no space in between. You could tell it hit right there. It just felt like in our front yard. And uh, a few minutes later, all of a sudden, I I see some red lights coming down the street, and I walk out the door, and and I see our neighbor's house. In flames, and, and, and Bev and I stood there in the front yard watching that house burn down. And it seems so strange now to you know to get up in the morning and look across the street and see that that house just gone. Let me tell you, the world is changing that way. We are changing, and everything is temporary, and uh, and we're headed as Christians toward a new world where everything is eternal, and the time is short. That's the point. The reality of this relates to us in numerous ways. And I want you to think about some of the ways in which we are affected by this definite fact, that the time is short. In the first place, It affects us in regards to suffering. Most of the time, whenever we think about the brevity of life, we only think about the negative side, don't we? Oh, my, my life is about over and, uh, and it's just going to be terrible, you know. I'm, sometimes we leave the impression that going to heaven is a demotion. It's going to be horrible. I'm going to die and have to go to heaven. And we're worried about leaving all of this stuff down here. <laughs> and, and as though we're not going to have anything up there. So usually when we think about the brevity of life, when we read all of these passages in the Bible that speaks about our life being like a vapor, you know, here for one minute and then it's gone. We think about it as being the grass that dries and it withers or a flower that blooms today and tomorrow it's dead and gone. And we think about the rapidity with which our life is passing by and we just look at the, at the negative side of it. But listen, there is a positive side to this also. When he says the time is short, that relates to suffering as well as to anything else. And let me tell you, if there's any one word 
other than sin that describes life, it's suffering. Job 14, 1 says, man, this born of the woman is a few days and full of trouble. You see, that gets all of us, every single one of us, must suffer to some degree. And sometimes, it seems like it's never going to end. Whenever we think back to when we were younger and strong and healthy and vibrant, and and uh, then we think about people like Bev that, for almost 30 years now has been suffering with fibromyalgia and other health problems and and what have you. And we talk quite often about, you know, it'd just be so wonderful if the Lord said, okay, I'm going to give you one day of the week where you'll feel normal. Now, the six days you're going to feel lousy. But one day a week you're going to get that one day of relief and you'll feel you'll feel like you did when you, you know, back when you were 20 or 21 or something like that. But that day doesn't come. And that's what I'm saying. Sometimes it seems like our suffering will never end, that we're going to have to live with it forever. But I've got good news for you. The time is short. It's going to end. Second Corinthians chapter number 4. You probably already figured out this is one of my favorite chapters. Verse 17, he says, For our light afflictions. Wait a minute. Our light afflictions? And you go back and read the things that he mentioned earlier in that chapter, and let me tell you, you could put cancer and heart disease and everything else in that category. And he says, for our light afflictions, which is, notice, but for a moment, just for a moment, time is passing. The time is short. It's just for a moment. And notice, they're not working against us, but he says here, they worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. It's no wonder that we love to sing that old song, What a Day That Will Be. Amen? Amen. Because as Christians, we know that is our blessed hope. And that's the day that we're looking forward to when the Lord is going to come and we'll be there in the presence of the Lord. And as the Bible says, you know, we weep now, but joy cometh in the morning. Let me tell you, joy comes in the morning and it's going to come to stay. There will be no more passing away of the joy that we enter into in that day. And we can read all about it there in the book of Revelation where there will be no more tears, no more weeping, no sorrow, no pain. All of these former things, he says, is going to pass away. Let me tell you, I've got good news for you. You know, people say, well, I just I wish God would heal my body. Well, let me assure you, He is. He's going to heal you one of these days. Amen? He's going to meet every need. And, and it's just a matter of time. And that's why I keep harping on it over and over again, that for the Christian, the best is always yet to come. There's always, I don't care how good your day is, there's going to be a better day because the time is short regarding your suffering. Not only regarding your suffering, but the time is short in regards to your sorrow. Now, a lot of times, suffering and sorrow 
are together. But it's possible to suffer without sorrow. You see, physical pain is one thing. Sorrow is another thing. And the Apostle Paul, I think, is the great example of this. Here was a man that was suffering. Here is a man that was buffeted about with pain and what have you. And and yet there was no sorrow involved in it because he says, I rejoice in all of my tribulation. So there's no sorrow with it. But, But listen, suffering is one thing. Sorrow is another thing. And sorrow can come in a lot of different ways. It might be a a broken relationship. Uh, You know, I I just don't know how anything could be more devastating to me than for my wife to say, I don't love you anymore, I'm packing my bags and I'm leaving. By the way, she could do that tomorrow and I couldn't do anything about it. That's about the most horrible thing that I could possibly imagine. Let me tell you, there are people that, that have had to go through that. They love their spouse dearly, and yet uh, the relationship is broken, and it leaves them in sorrow. It might be wayward children. I talked to two different neighbors this week at different times, and in talking to those neighbors about whatever the subject might have been, before the conversation was over, in both instances, it got around to the fact that the wayward children had brought them great sorrow. And they were heartbreaking. And those of you that are parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You want something that will tear your heart out. You just think about your children going the way of the world and, and 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 you'll be overwhelmed with sorrow when you see them out there in the world. It might be the betrayal of a friend. They're not a relative or anything, but they're a friend. And let me tell you, sometimes sometimes you can get closer to friends than you can to your relatives. Sometimes it's better to get closer to your friends than it is to your relatives. Certain relatives, that is. But whenever you've been betrayed by a friend, it's something that brings great sorrow. It might be the death of a loved one. All of the time you see different people posting different things about their mother or their daddy that's died and gone to heaven. And whenever you're facing the death of a loved one, you know, somebody says, well, we're, we ought to just celebrate their life. We ought, not to, we ought not to have any sorrow about it. Well, I don't know where you got that nonsense. You didn't get it out of the Bible. You say, well, it tells us we sorrow not. No, listen, we sorrow not as others do. It doesn't mean we don't sorrow. If Jesus, listen, if Jesus wept, there's nothing wrong with us weeping. And if we can't weep over our loved ones that have died and we're never going to see again in this life, tell me, what will we weep over? Naturally, there's going to be sorrow when all of a sudden someone you love has betrayed you or someone you love has died and left you. And these things can be hard to bear, but the good news is the time is short. That's all going to change someday. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more suffering. 
And there will be no more striving. Now, I've used that word striving very intentionally because it means to exert much force or energy. It means to endeavor. It means to struggle, to fight forcefully or to contend. And you can use it in the sense of work or you can use it in the sense of warfare. But as you know, living requires a lot of effort. Sometimes those of us that are getting older will say, you know, old age ain't for sissies. <laughs> and it's not. But let me tell you, life is a struggle for everyone. Sometimes we forget how it was whenever we were younger and we look at these teenage couples, you know, making eyes at each other and, and we can see them falling in love, as you know, as they called and somebody says, well, it's, it's just puppy love. Yeah, but it's real to the puppy. I mean, listen, that's serious stuff to them. And, and you know, somebody will break up with somebody else and sometimes we treat, you know, we'll say something like, oh, well, he wasn't the one for you anyway, you know. You know, that really doesn't help a whole lot. I mean, that might be true. It might be true. But they're heartbroken. And I'm telling you, life is a struggle. Just just ask the young person that goes off to college, away from home for the first time, and ask them about the struggle. Ask, ask the young man or the young woman that goes into the military and away from home for the first time and the struggle. And all through life, in every area of life, it's a struggle. And we have to contend with the forces that are working against us, and it's exhausting. I mean, sometimes, you know, we get to the point that we, you know, we're not suffering and we're not, we're not in sorrow and not any pain involved, but we're just dog tired. We're suffering in the sense that we are just worn out. We've expended all of our energy. Let me tell you, it's been that way ever since sin entered into the world. And we have to now earn our bread, what? By the sweat of our brow. But I got good news for you. The time is short. The time is short. Think about how it was at the very beginning. And whenever, you know, he said you may partake of the trees in the garden, what, freely. And that was the one thing that Adam and Eve forgot about. And you, you just read what she said and you'll notice she leaves that word out of it. She had lost sight of the fact that everything they had was as a result of God's grace, and you can take of any of it, except, except to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, take of any of it, and freely, it's all right there for the taking. But after the sin entered into the world, it was earning your bread by the sweat of your brow. And let me tell you, that can be difficult. Ask the single parent mother. Is trying to work two or three jobs and take care of her family. It can be difficult. The good news is the time is short and there's a day coming whenever all of our needs are going to be supplied with no effort being put forth. Think about that. What a day that's going to be. When they're in the new city of Jerusalem and God's children will feast there at the table that has been prepared for us and dine in the presence of the Lord Himself and every single thing we need will be provided. 
The time is short. It's not going to be long. Oh, you say, well, it might be 20 years, 30 years. What's that compared to eternity? The time is short in regards to all of these things, but it's also the time is short in regards to service. You see, every person here this morning is here on earth for a reason. God has a purpose and a plan for every single one of us. Now, the purpose is the same for all of us. We don't all have a different purpose. My purpose as a pastor is exactly the same as your purpose ought to be, regardless of what your vocation is. That purpose is to glorify God. That's the only reason that we exist. That is our purpose. But we also have a mission, and that mission involves a plan The mission is that we glorify God through obedience to His Word, and God has a different plan for each of us. He doesn't use all of us in the same way, but He uses all of us in some way. Isn't it wonderful to know that you can have a part and be privileged to have a a part in God's kingdom work? We all have a job to do, but... We only have a limited amount of time in which to do our work. Listen to what Jesus said over in the Gospel of John in chapter number 9 as he mentions this very thing. Chapter number 9 and verse number 4. He said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. Notice the night cometh when no man can work. You see, the time is short. We have a work to do, a purpose to live for, but the time is short. We don't have forever to do this. And we, listen, we need to think about our life as harvest time. And harvest time is a time of working. Harvest time is not a time for sleeping. That's why we need to do all we can and while we can and make every effort to win those that are lost. If you study the context of this chapter, the context from which we get our text here that the time is short, you'll notice that he's letting us know that the brevity of life affects every area of our life. He even talks about the matter of marriage, and he's talking about in certain instances, although the normal plan is that a person would marry and and bear children, that's the normal plan, but there are certain situations of which Paul mentions here to where it's better to not even marry at all. Now, circumstances are different for everyone, and sometimes we look at somebody, you know, that's 30, 35 years old, and we wonder, well, there must be something wrong with you if you're not married. No, it might be exactly right for them. You can't just make a blanket statement, you know, that would just be all-inclusive, that everybody ought to do this or that. This is the stuff that Paul is dealing with here in this chapter, and he's showing us the brevity of life. The fact that time is short affects every area of our life. And looking at all of this, it ought to be easy to see that, that there ought to be a holy urgency in living. Because you get just one shot at it. Just one chance. 
The time is short. The opportunity is brief. And someday the door is going to shut and there will be no opportunity for serving God here on earth any longer. And delay is dangerous. There's so many times, you know, we think about a, a relative or someone that's, that doesn't know the Lord or a co-worker, a classmate. And uh, we keep telling ourselves, or the Spirit is telling us, you know, you need to speak to that person about their spiritual needs. And we keep finding excuses to, to put it off. Well, I'll do that some other day. I'll do that whenever I have a better opportunity. And we just keep putting it off. And the next thing you know, they're dead and gone. And we never took advantage of the opportunity that we had to tell them about Christ. There are some people that have never taken advantage of that opportunity even with their own children, let alone their neighbors or or other people. The time is short. If nothing changes here at the end of the month, and I'm going to be very careful, I'm not going to elaborate on what I say, but most of you know what I'm talking about. We'll have a man here preaching that is risking his very life by the ministry that he has in a certain part of the world. This is one of those situations where I sent out an email the other day saying I'm not going to announce it outside the church or anything, but we'll have uniformed police officers here that night. We got, a, we got an email saying that, and I sent it out, saying that the authorities have told him that you've got to shut down this one operation. Now, this is just one, one particular ministry of many that's going on there, and... Uh, and he says, no, <laughs> and I'm going to shut it down. Well, over, listen, over in that part of the world to say no is to die. You know, and if they don't get you, the terrorists will get you because they don't want you there speaking about Christ. And this fellow knows that he has a very limited opportunity to reach people. And he made the statement, I am ready to die. I expect to die, he said. You know, I wonder why it is that we think that that's well and good. Let's all stand and give him an, uh, 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 an applause. And, and yet we don't expect that kind of dedication out of ourselves whatsoever. The time is short. Whatever we're going to do, we better do it right now. Not only that, but the time is short in regards to sin. Uh, I've heard people say, in fact, I think I've said it, this would be a pretty good world if it wasn't for people. That's really not right, you know. It would be a pretty good world were it not for sin. You see, it's the sin that causes the problem, not the people themselves. But the good news is the Lord's going to solve that problem. It's just a matter of time until we will sin no more. You think about, sometimes we think about, and all we think about is whenever we die here, we're going to heaven and that's it. We're through with earth. But if you're a Christian, 
you've got at least 1,000 years that you're going to spend here on this earth and not twiddling your thumbs, but ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ. Wow. You know, we look at the situation in the world today and we think about the injustice and and uh, the acts of terror and all the other heartbreaking things that we see and we say to ourselves, you know, why doesn't someone step up and put a stop to this? Let me tell you, someday there is one who's going to step up and put a stop to it and take control of this whole mess. The time is short. We sometimes get the impression that sin is winning. And that we're losing. But like Yogi Berra said, it ain't over till it's over. Let me tell you, it's not over, folks. The Lord's going to put an end to this and someday we'll live in a world It's absolutely perfect, sin-free world. Wow. The time is short. We better do what we can while we can. But listen, the time is short in regards to salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. Paul writing to this same church, and he says in verse number 2, For he, he saith, I have... Heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you're ever going to get saved, you need to get saved as soon as possible. I don't know why anybody would want to delay. Isn't it wonderful to think about the fact that we think about different things and we think, well, I wish I had this or I wish I had that, but I just can't afford that. There, there, listen, there are sick people that need certain medicines that they cannot afford to buy. And so they have to live without those particular medicines. And even though they're dying, they can't get any help, they can't find any relief. The medicine is there, but they can't afford it. Let me tell you, the great thing about salvation is that it's free. It doesn't cost you a penny. Christ paid it all. But there's a time limit. There's no promise of tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation, and there's a time limit because we don't know what might happen tomorrow. And we could look through history and think of all of the tragic examples of people who procrastinated regarding salvation and died without Christ, not because they necessarily stood up and denied Him, but because they simply rejected Him. Salvation is the most important, the most wonderful thing in the world. I don't know why anybody would want to wait. Think about it. To to lose one minute as a child of God would be absolutely foolish. 
I mean, if you should ever get saved, you ought to get saved as soon as possible. Don't you think? And to put it off one minute, just one minute, would be foolish. But to risk your eternal soul by delaying for another day is absolutely insane. Because you don't know that you'll live to see another day. If you're ever going to be saved, you need to take advantage of the opportunity that you have right now. Somebody said the tragedy of life is not that it ends so soon, but that we wait so long to begin it. And let me tell you, you haven't really begun to live until you've received Christ as your Savior. As an old southern gospel song says, I've just begun to live. When God's amazing grace come down, I just begin to live. Old things are passed away. Boy, I'm glad that I can look back to that day in my life whenever I really began to live. Oh, I'd been taking up space here on earth for a number of years, but I, had, I didn't know what real living was all about until I became a child of God. The time is short. Regardless of what area of your life you want to talk about, the time is short. I think we'd all do well to take John Wesley's advice. In fact, this was his motto. This is the thing that he hammered home to his students. And he said, all at it, emphasizing the all, all at it and always at it. In other words, put everything you've got into what you do and do it all of the time. That's the way that we ought to live. Why? Because the time is short. Now, let me leave you something to think about. We shouldn't have to change anything about the way that we're living just because we're about to die. Let me say that again. We should not have to change anything about the way that we're living just because we're about to die. You see, if our priorities are right, if our priorities are where they should be, we ought to be able to keep doing what we've been doing even though we know that we're dying. Does that make any sense? If I've been living like I ought to be living, why would I then change because I know that tomorrow that I'm going to die? You hear people all the time talking about, you know, what they would do if they knew they were dying. And maybe they got their bucket list. If I knew I was dying, you know, I want to do this and I want to do that and what have you. And and you hear people talk about their near-death experience and how it changed their life. But I'm telling you, had they been living like they should have been living with their priorities in the proper place, nothing would have changed after that near-death experience. There wouldn't have been any need for change whatsoever. You might not like it, but I'm going to use the words of an old country song to put it the way that it ought to be, we ought to live like we're dying. That's good advice. Live like you're dying. 
And whenever the doctor comes in and says, I can't do any more, you don't have to change a thing. Just keep doing what you're doing. Live like you're dying. That's why the Apostle Paul, whenever he comes down to it, you know, and he begins to describe the fact that he's about to leave this world. And he says, for the time of my departure is at hand. In other words, I'm about to pull up anchor and I'm about to cast off. Time of my departure is at hand, for I am ready to be offered. I'm ready. I hope everybody that leaves here this morning can say, that I know that I've trusted Christ as my Savior. I know that my salvation is a settled thing. I don't have to worry about that. And I'm living the way that I know that God wants me to live. And if that's the case, you can say exactly what Paul did. I am ready. I'm ready. And the time of my departure is at hand. The time is short. Whether you're looking at the good side of it, that we'll suffer no more and sin no more, or whether you're looking at the negative side, that someday we'll have our last opportunity. Let me say this, and maybe it doesn't even go with the message. I don't know, but it's on my heart. In fact, I sat down and I wrote an article this last week, and I was watching a TV show, and this man who was confused about being transgender, and uh, he's on the show with his wife, had two kids also, he was just weeping uncontrollably because he knew what he was putting them through. The misery, the pain that he was inflicting upon them. Coming out of the closet and showing his, well, perversion to the world. And my first thought was to be angry. I was angry. I was repulsed. It was so sickening to to even think about that. And all of a sudden, it was like the Lord just pulled all of that old bitterness out of me and said, you ought to feel sorry and have sympathy for somebody in that kind of a condition. Listen, we ought to hate their sin, but if we don't love them... We're just as guilty of sin as they are. And I'm raising this issue because I'm telling you the time is short and we're not going to get anywhere in trying to reach other people. Whether it's the Muslims or whether it's the gays or whoever it is, we're not going to get anywhere trying to reach others by getting angry and bitter toward them. Their only hope is for us to show something of Christ to them. The Bible says the goodness of God leads us to repentance. Well, if the goodness of God is what brought us to the place of repentance, what do you suppose will help them get there? It's the goodness of God demonstrated through the life of His children. But the time is short. 
The time's short. We don't have forever to do something about this. We need to launch today and leap into action and take advantage of our opportunity. Let's stand together. Father, forgive us of the many times that we've dragged our feet, we've ignored our responsibilities, we've neglected people, maybe because we've been repulsed by them, and we have hated their sin to such an extent that that we just held them at arm's length instead of hugging them and loving them. And God, help us to never compromise. Help us to never, to never give in to the sin of this world. But help us, Heavenly Father, to demonstrate the kind of love to others that, that You've shown for us. That You loved us in that while we were yet sinners. And we're so very thankful for that. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us that the time is short. And if there's someone here today that's never been saved, I pray they'll come to realize what a wonderful opportunity this is. That right here, right now, today, that they'll settle it once for all. For we pray in Jesus' name.